Thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Well, again, good morning. Take out your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, where our scripture reading was from just a few moments ago. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For those of you guys that were with us at the 9 o'clock service and have heard this once already, you, you can put your glasses on and go to sleep now. That's Eric asked me if he had to listen the second time, and I said, nope, just sleep. So, um, so we're going to start a, a series of lessons over the next few weeks. It's not going to be a long series, uh, but a group of lessons from the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, and, and the reason I enjoy this particular series of lessons uh, in many ways is because 2 Corinthians is a very overlooked book in a lot of ways. We, we spend a lot of time in 1 Corinthians. The, the Corinth church, from, from reading 1 Corinthians, you can tell had a lot of problems. They had a lot of issues, a lot of challenges, a lot of struggles that they were dealing with. And it makes sense because this is a young church. This is a young church. You think about the, the letters of the churches that we read about from, uh, from the end of Acts through uh, coming into the book of Revelation, and you're talking about churches that are 10, maybe 15 years old at, 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 the, at the most. Okay, the, the Christians in that church, some of them you know, had been Christians for just a few years. And so it's understandable that, that young Christians in a young church would have young church problems, that they would get priorities mixed up, that they would maybe do things in certain ways that maybe they shouldn't have, that you know, they didn't have what we maybe call traditions to really lean on. And even though you hear me talk about being careful with traditions, sometimes traditions are a good thing because they give us a sense of balance and a sense of understanding. And so this, this young church in Corinth had a lot of problems, and Paul writes this first letter, and he addresses problems. And then as you read through 2 Corinthians, you see that uh, he has um, addressed these problems, and not only has he addressed these problems, but the church in Corinth has listened, and they have begun to correct their problems. And to me, 1 and 2 Corinthians together is really about a journey of God's grace and understanding, that you, you understand that your Christian life as an individual, and then even our Christian life as a, a church, as a group of people, as a family of God, is one in which we have to give people room to, when they mess up, allow them to see their error, and then to correct that and to live positively. And that's exactly what we see in these two different books. As a matter of fact, and we'll talk about it in a later lesson, we see that maybe to an extreme maybe to an extreme, they go too far with Paul's teaching, and Paul has to pull them back into a place of grace. And so we're going to spend some time in 2 Corinthians. Our passage today uh, that we're going to look at from chapter 1 is really going to hone in on the last verse, uh, the last two verses of this word yes, that God's favorite word is yes. How many of you like when you are asked a question, you like a response of yes? I mean, there, there are some questions that there are some questions that you really hope are always answered in the yes. Uh, will you marry me? Is a question that you hope when you ask that question is a what? Is a yes. You know, did I get the job? That's a yes. Honey, are you cooking supper? 
You hope that that's a yes, right? My kids have learned, my kids have learned, you know, everything's not a yes. Everything's not a yes. But I have a parent phrase that I'm sure many of you have, and that is, if my kids are listening, let's see, Collins Vance, when you ask me a question and I respond with, we'll see about doing that later, what does that mean? It means maybe. The other day she told me she learned it meant no. And so not everything is, is a yes in life. Sometimes it's a maybe and sometimes it's a no. Uh, I like presidential history. One of the things, a little tidbit from uh, President Eisenhower, he always kept an eight ball on his desk. And he always said that he used that eight ball to make the important decisions. Now, you know what, I, you know what I'm talking about when I say an eight ball. So when important decisions came across the president's desk, I can just see President Eisenhower sitting behind the resolute desk grabbing that ball and just shaking it up and go, ask again later. Well, you know, that's how it goes. But do you know on the Magic 8 Ball, it has 20 sides of that little thing on the inside of it. I don't know what that's called other than that little thing on the inside of it. And it's got 20 responses to a question. Out of those 20 responses, 15 of them are the answer yes in some shape, form, or fashion. Why is that? Because that's a kid's toy. And if a kid shakes that thing up and goes, hey, am I going to be a millionaire and shakes it up and it says no every time, are you going to sell any of them? No. Do you want them to have a yes answer? We love the word yes. And as we look at Scripture, we see all throughout Scripture that, that God, makes, God makes promises to us as children of God. He's always made promises to His people. And, and Paul wants this group of people to know that in every promise that God has made, that it, the, the, the positive answer or response to yes is fulfilled through Christ Jesus. Now, I did a little bit of study, a little bit of background just to try to figure out for myself. I don't know if this is exhaustive, but it's what I've come up with. There are 7,457 promises that God makes from the book of Revelation or from the book of Genesis to the end of the book of Revelation. And Paul tells us that in Christ, all of them are answered yes. And so what I want us to do is, is not only as uh, God's favorite word is yes, I want, you to, I want you to know that that is His favorite word for us, but it is also His favorite word to hear from us in, in life this morning. And so what we're going to do with this idea is we're going to ask some questions of God, and we're going to see what the answers are through Scripture. And of course, by the title of the lesson, you should know the answers are going to be what? Yes. All right, so the first question we ask this morning is this, God, do you really love me? God, do you really love me? Judd, what was the year? 1860. One of the most well-known songs ever was written in 1860. You know what that song was? Do what, Eric? Did you say something? No, okay. Eric was not sleeping. Jesus loves me. The all-time great hit. Jesus loves me. As a matter of fact, Judd looked this up in between services. He said it started out as a poem, and then we've kind of, I guess, through the generations, have turned it, turned it kind of into a kid's song. But the first line of that song is what? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, the Bible tells us a lot of things, but one of the things that we need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when we read this book, when we start and, and whatever we're reading, whatever we're studying, one of the things that should always come across to us is that Jesus loves us. But you know, there are some people in this world that just struggle. 
There are some people that have problems and issues and challenges, and in their heart and in their mind, they feel that they are unlovable people. And that is one of the greatest things about a relationship with God, is that regardless of what's going on in my life, regardless of the challenges that I have, regardless of how empty and useless I might feel, God says, I love you. I love you. And you can know that. Jesus, in John chapter 15, he's talking to his followers. And I imagine it's one of those conversations that he knows that when the time comes, their mind's going to go back to it and they're going to think about it. But he tells them in John 15, he says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay his life down for his friend. And I wonder as he hung on the cross, if those words flashed back through the apostles' mind and they looked at him and they realized this is what he's talking about. He's doing this not because they're doing it to him. He's doing this because he loves us. And so, Jesus, do you love me? The answer is and always will be yes. Then the next question, along with the idea of love, is well, if you love me, God, can you forgive me of my mistakes? Can you forgive me of my mistakes? You know, I think some people feel like they are just too sinful of a person to ever be able to come to God and have a relationship, that there's no way that God could love someone like me. I'm so messed up. I've got so many problems. I've got so many issues. I'm unlovable. I'm unforgivable. Well, we've already crossed out the idea that you're unlovable because God loves you no matter what. And the next thing I want you to know this morning is that no matter what you have done in your life, no matter what you're in the middle of, no matter what your addiction is, what your struggle is, no matter what that sin is that just has a hold of you, God says, I'm big enough, I'm strong enough, I'm powerful enough to forgive you. You don't have to carry that sin around like a ball and chain. In 1 John chapter 7, John writes these words, and he writes them, he writes them from a guy who spent time with Jesus, who saw Jesus suffer, who saw Jesus die, and he says, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from every sin. He cleanses us from every sin. There's no sin in our past, no sin in our present, and no sin in our future that is so big that God cannot handle those things. Now here's the third one, and maybe for us in this room today, maybe the most applicable question. Maybe, maybe the question that we take and we really maybe hopefully grab onto, and that is this, God, do you have a plan for my life? God, do you have a plan for my life? I think everybody goes through a time where they just don't know what they want to do. They don't know what they want to be when they grow up. They, they, they don't know what college they want to go to. They don't know what job they want to have. They, they, they don't know really where they fit maybe in, in the church. They don't know where, where they're supposed to be serving or where they're supposed to be plugged in. They don't know if they should be married. They don't know if they should start having kids. They don't, they don't know. They, they, we all go through this, just, I think, time in our life where, where we're just kind of not sure about things. And I, I had that period in my life before I met Blair and, and I, we had had, in my personal family, we had had a lot of challenges in my personal family. And, and I didn't know if I wanted to, to go back to school at the time, if I wanted just to stay in ministry and work full time, if I wanted to, I, 
I thought about joining the military at one point, and I was just really struggling with what to do and and where to be and what I should be about. And so I, I made it a mission. I made it a kind of a goal of mine to just spend some time in Scripture and try to really listen to God. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to just stop. And we talked about this last week. Sometimes it's hard for us to just stop and be still and listen to God. But when we do that, we learn some things. And one of the things that I learned and one of the passages that I really keyed in on comes from Jeremiah 29, verse 11. And it's a verse that we use in a lot of different situations in a lot of different places in a lot of different ways. And I think we have to be careful with it because if, we're, if we can use it wrongly, I believe. What it says is, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And it's real easy to look at that verse and pull out, especially the, the phrase, plans to prosper you and, and to, to build a prosperity doctrine around that. But what I, what I keyed in on and what I tried to pray around was the first sentence, for I know the plans I have for you. For I know the plans that I have for you that, that God put me here and put you here for a reason. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's workmanship, Paul says. You have a purpose. God has a plan. God has given each and every one of us a unique set of gifts and abilities to serve Him and to bring honor and praise to Him when we figure those things out and we use them. I, I truly believe that most church members never truly grasp what God has given them to serve Him with, that they never truly understand and wrap their mind around what their spiritual gift is, what their God gift is, so that they can turn and serve in, in church. And I believe maybe even going a little bit deeper, that we've done some disservice in those areas because we, we, do, a lot of, we do a lot of training in public worship and, and, and teaching you know, young men how to serve publicly and teaching our young ladies how to teach in class. And if we're not careful, we limit the field of service to those things. And people really aren't ever able to tap into their gifts because maybe they don't fit in that box. But that doesn't mean that they're not given a gift from God to serve Him. And we need to disciple those individuals to serve with the gifts that God has given them, not fit them in our own little box of the way we think it should be. Because God has a plan for us. But now, I used this illustration this morning. It's one of my favorite illustrations. We like things to be instant, don't we? We like things to be instant. I'm going to say, Gary, Gary, do you like cake? Love it. How would you feel if I called you this afternoon and said, Gary, I've got a fresh cake. Would you like for me to drop it off? What would you say? The answer is yes, Gary, okay? The answer is yes. <laughs> um, and so I, I, come to, I come to Gary's door and, and I knock on his door and here I am standing at Gary's front door with a bowl and a mixer and a dozen eggs and flour. Of course, Linda's sitting back there going, I'm going to have to make Gary a cake. And I bring Gary all the ingredients to a cake. And to get that cake, what's Gary going to have to do? He's going to have to put those ingredients together. He's going to have to put some time and some energy and some effort into it. And then eventually he'll get 
the cake. You see, I think a lot of times in our, in our, in our Christian life, we want the cake finish. We want the end result. We, we want the big reveal. We want it to be easy. But God says, look, I've given you talents. I've given you abilities. I've given you a place to serve. Now, I've given you all the ingredients. You may have to figure out how to put them together. I've got a plan for you, but part of that plan is going to take some effort from you. You're not going to be able to just sit in the pew and figure it out. You're going to have to roll your sleeves up. You're going to have to get involved. You're going to have to make it a point to say, I'm going to serve God. And when you do that, you'll begin to figure out where you're best suited to serve. You'll begin to figure out those talents and those gifts. Moses is a great example of this. Moses knew that his job was to deliver the people of Israel. He knew it was. And and that's why early in his life, he tries to intervene in some situations and he realizes that his idea, his plan isn't going to work out, but he's mixing things up. He's trying to figure it out. He disappears from the scene basically for 40 years and God takes that time. that, That 40 years is how long it took for Moses' cake to bake. And then God came to him and said, now that you've figured it out, now that you've put in the work, now that you've put in the effort, what did Moses do for 40 years? Moses, for the 40 years from where we see him in Egypt to where we see him in front of the burning bush before God, for 40 years, he had been a shepherd. Guess where he shepherded those sheep? In the wilderness for 40 years. God gave him 40 years to figure out how to lead people in the wilderness. Well, that's exactly what he was going to be called to do. God has a plan for you. And you may not be to the, to the cake yet. You still may be cracking the eggs. But my encouragement to you is to know that God wants you to be involved. God wants you to say yes to Him and serve Him and figure out what that purpose and plan is for you in your life. Now, a couple of things to wrap up. Here's a question that I want you to think about. Jesus, are you coming back? Jesus, are you coming back? The answer to that is yes. At the very end of Revelation, Jesus says, yes, I'm coming soon. Now, now soon to Jesus is a relative term. People would say that 2,000 years later isn't soon, but to God, you know, time is not constraining like it is to us. And, and John ends his word, his book with this, and here's our word, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let me ask you, do you look forward to the coming of Jesus? Do you look forward to that time where we are going to see Jesus come back to this earth and and, and set up and have this moment of judgment like we read about in the book of Matthew where he separates us like the sheep from the goat like a shepherd does? Are you looking forward to that moment? You see, the way you feel about that moment has a lot to do with our last question. And the last question is, have you said yes to Jesus? Because if you've said yes to Jesus, then your thought and your idea about the coming of Jesus, His second coming, is probably a lot different. Because if you've said yes to Jesus and you've had your sins washed away through baptism and you're living that life where you're plugged in and you're serving and you're a disciple of Christ, then you look at that moment as the culmination of your life. This is what I'm working for. This is what I'm living toward. This is my reward. But if you've said no, then the coming of Jesus looks completely different from you. for you. The second coming of Jesus comes with judgment, not in a positive way, but in a way of eternal punishment. And you know, that's something we don't like to talk a lot about. 
We love to talk about how real heaven is, but we just kind of glaze over hell. But you see, the coming of Jesus is going to bring those two realities to the forefront. Either you've said yes to Jesus and, and have followed His commands to become His child His way, or you've not, and you don't receive a reward. Rather, you receive eternal punishment. So Jesus' favorite word is yes, from Him to you. But He also wants to hear it from you back to Him. So have you have you allowed Jesus to be your Savior? Have you done what He has asked you to do? We, we just spent a month talking about finding salvation and, do, and, and the importance of baptism in that process. Have you said yes to Jesus? That is the most important question you will ever be asked and the most important response you ever give. And I hope that before you leave here today, your answer will be yes. Let's go to God in prayer as we close together. God, I thank you so much for all that you do for us, for the love that you give us, for the hope that we have in you. I thank you for your promises and how that you have fulfilled them and you have said yes to us in so many different ways. And help us today, God, to say yes back, to be encouraged by, by your promises to a point that we want to give back all that we can in our life. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice. Please be with us to live out a life that is worthy of that sacrifice every day. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember, we are a church of Christ 